Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. This is a horror podcast, so we're going to be talking about horror things, which could involve sensitive subjects such as child abuse, violence, the R word, the F word. There will be bad things, uh, potentially, but not definitely in this conversation. So with that out of the way, uh, Steve, what do we got coming up in the near future? Oh, still lots of stuff. We've still got more than 10 people on the calendar, so we're not going to bother listing all of that. Um, mm-hmm. As far as self-promotion stuff, Chris's webcomic, PiecesOfFlesh.com, my book, a, cover, a Guide to the Recovery Toolbox, currently has a coupon LE69E on Smashwords.com. But today's guest... Today, we have with us one Mr. Tom Holland, writer known for several works, most uh, notably Fright Night, Child's Play, and Psycho 2. Welcome to the show, sir. And also, uh, oh shit. <laughs> no, Excellent actually, uh, yes, Cloak and Dagger, and um, what was the other one? Uh, thinner. Thinner. No, well, technically it wasn't right or anything. <laughs> well, I guess, was it screenplay? Maybe it was. Anyway, there's also actor and director and stuff like that, too. So there's got a, a lot going on. Uh, but welcome. Thank you for joining us, Tom. Well, my yes. pleasure to be here. Before we get into the meat of the interview, do you want to let us know what you're currently working on? Yes, I have a book called Oh Mother, What Have You Done? that mm. is going up on Amazon. And you can also get it my website called terrortime.shop if you want it autographed or personalized. Okay. And it is the, the, the story of the creation of Psycho 2. Mm-hmm. And this came about because this summer, which I guess we're still in, feels like it here in LA anyway, mm, it's hot same. enough, that uh, it was the 40th anniversary this summer and there was an explosion of, uh, of, of existing interest in Psycho 2, which uh, sort of blew me away. Mm-hmm. And then to really fill the story in, a very nice guy named Mark Hartley uh, arrived at my house and gave me the 4K from Australia of Cloak and Dagger. Nice. Including, yeah, including with, with, with little figure, with Jack Flack figure that went with it. <laughs> awesome. And he told me that Richard Franklin had done his memoirs before he passed. And he passed in 2007 of cancer. Mm-hmm. And I was like blown away because I, I'd been in contact and seen him. And his wife, you know, as they passed through L.A. Uh, for years, but then he'd gotten sick and he was down in Australia and, you know, turned into more of an email kind of thing. But mm. I didn't know he had written his memoirs, which are basically his love of film, and mm. then the, all the films that, that, that he did. And the biggest chunk was on Psycho 2. Mm. <laughs> and Psycho 2 is the, is the film that, that exploded my career. And Richard's widow, uh, a lovely, lovely woman called Jennifer Hatton, sent me the uh, the memoir, and I read it, and it was like stepping back forty years for me, mm. because Richard described, you know, the, the whole genesis of Psycho Two, but also hiring me and how he worked with me, or how we worked together on developing the script mm-hmm. and the whole thing. And then I th- I thought to myself, well, I, I've I've got it. There were, there were so few of us left. Basically, yes. the, the people that are left to Psycho 2 is myself and Andrew London, who was the editor. And I got hold of Andrew, and I said, I'd let, let's, 
I want to I want to put this down so people will know what the experience was like because it was such a one off. So you read it and and it's like being in a in a symposium, you know, or a or a conversation between the three of us. Mm-hmm. And I think and of course I I include photos and lobby cards and and budgets and and storyboards and all that. But it's really the conversation. And it was really like going back and reliving 40 years ago for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it was an amazing experience. And I'm so happy I'm getting it out there now mm. because the, the, it hadn't occurred to me before, I, before the, 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 the congruence of both the 40th and the, and, uh, and, and the arrival of, of Richard's memoirs. Mm. And I think it's, it, it goes way beyond the making of book, you know? Right. It really is about the genesis of the whole idea because that was a moment in time when they didn't do sequels, and they huh. and certainly no one had had the uh, Golf. the temerity to think about doing a mm. sequel to Psycho because Hitchcock right. Psycho at that moment in time was and Hitchcock too, Mister Hitchcock were considered you know they were iconic. Well, yeah, it's a big legacy to carry, especially making a, a sequel out of one of Hitchcock's films. Well, especially out of Psycho. Psycho was Psycho well, yeah. was the Psycho was the first slasher film. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Psycho changed you, the, the, our, our conception. Psycho was of, the Jaws of, before Jaws was Jaws. Yeah, was. horror before that it had been AIP and Hammer films, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was. It was. It was extraordinary. The well, whole I experience think- of, of of writing it and, and reliving it, and you know, I mean, a lot of I put a lot of work into it. And I, I, I hope that, that people really enjoy and it's going to be out to, to purchase and, you know, in a week or two. We just got approved today, as a matter of fact. I just got the from, from, uh, from Amazon. So, you know, I mean, boy. I'm sure, people will, uh, I'm sure people will love to get into that. And it also sounds like you will probably even more appreciate uh, the concept of what we're doing here in our podcast more than I expected you to. <laughs> um, well, Chris, Chris Sarandon said you guys really, really did a deep dive. Yes, and we he, he had a lot of respect <laughs> for your knowledge and, your, and the quality of your questions. Nice. We Good. appreciate that. Yeah. So we, we briefly talked a little bit before we hit uh, record. And so you kind of know what the first question is going to be, but I'll throw it out there anyway. What are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Well, my early, my earliest memories were, were I, I just, I just fell in love with it as, as, as a kid. I figure around nine or 10 and I'm back mm-hmm. in, people are going to think this is like ancient history, but I'm back in the late fifties mm-hmm. and there really wasn't, a horror. There really weren't horror movies, as hard as that is to believe. Right. The the EC Comics is my first memory. The Tales of the Crypt comics and those things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then they were banned. I think in nineteen fifty four, five or six, and all of a sudden you couldn't you couldn't read them. You couldn't get them. And yep. what started to happen was, I was in high school, uh, b- 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 junior high, I guess, and a few other kids in school. They were all male. A few other guys in school, and there weren't many, like three or four, mm-hmm. who were interested in in what even then wasn't even thought of as a genre, but in the in the EC comics, which were, you know, short pithy tales with a twist at the end. Yep, always got to have that monkey's paw twist. That, that that's the kind of cat got your tongue, and then you'd find out literally the cat got your tongue. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
But we would, when they were banned, we would we would take them and we would hide them and pass them around to each other in, in high school. Nice. There was no horror fans in those days, you know? I mean, it, 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 was, it was such a beginning. It was, there was, I, anyway, I actually, I, the, 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 the biggest horror movie I can think of from my earliest memory was Them, if you remember that. I recognize mm. the title, but that's, I don't think I've ever seen That's the one it. about the giant uh, b- b- ants. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because it started out with films that were re- Godzilla-type films that mm-hmm. were about the reaction to, the, to nuclear warfare. Oh, yeah. I guess that was, a, that was a common theme that kind of ushered cinema and storytelling into the horror era was radioactive monsters, like you said, you know, because you had that, uh, that, that inspiration from real life of the fear of new nuclear well, you, possibilities. You were, in, you were in a period when, when, in, when, in, when in high school, you would have uh, drills and how, yeah, and yep. how to get underneath your desk and cover your head because an atomic yep. bomb was going to be dropped. Yep. Yeah. So the paranoia about a wholesale death and atomic warfare was, was just huge. And here we are headed back again for that probably, you know, as the world becomes increasingly unstable. Maybe. Anyway, I started looking around, you know, and they were mainly sci-fi movies, terrible ones in those Mm -hmm. days, and EC Comics. And then I I got into Hammer films Mm -hmm. and Alpha Hammer AIP, which was the American ripoff of Hammer, which is all the Vincent Price films and the Christopher Lee films from Hammer. And I guess by the late fifties or by the night or by nineteen sixty, I was a diehard horror sci-fi fan. Okay, so that would be when, toward the end of high school, I graduated in in nineteen sixty-one. <laughs> Did you have a particular story from Tales of the Crypt that you remember? It stood out to you? No, but I directed three of them. And I the remember one seeing I most, that. One I wrote, I wrote them too. One of the <laughs> ones I'm most proud of is uh, I. They called it three-sided triangle. I did uh, "Lover Come Hack to Me," which is the third one ever done, and then I did three-sided triangle, and I did a pilot for Two-Fisted Tales that uh, that I shared with Dick Donner. And it's 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 about uh, drag racing, and it stars a then unknown actor that I cast named Brad Pitt. <laughs> Never heard of him. Never heard of him. I know how you feel, but you can you can I think you can find him on. I know you can find him online. Right. I think that they may be on YouTube. I don't know. He's in some some older films where yeah, it's it's, it's a real surprise to see him in him. Like uh, what was it? True Romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did uh, was there any particular Hammer film that stood out to you? The, all the Dracula of Christopher Lee ones, and they're that I can't, of course the the titles blur in my mind, but there are two or three that are better than the other ones. But I can't remember the titles right now. Without going into the title, do you remember what you liked about them? Well, it was the color for one thing? It was very saturated. You know, I mean, it was it was very vivid. What the what they put their money were in the sets, which is to say, the hammer got hold of some great old Victorian house. I think it was in the suburbs of London, and they shot most everything there at that period. Mm. And then then after Psycho, they got Jimmy Sangster into write, and they did a lot of uh, films that were were more psychological and more influenced by this by the huge success of Hitchcock Psycho. So they had like two different periods. 
but I got into them initially with you know with uh, with uh, Peter Cushing and uh, Christopher Lee. But that's right. where that's where Peter Vincent comes from in Fright Night. That's that's my combining Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Now you put it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you participate in Halloween when you were a kid? Did I? Yes, but Halloween wasn't wasn't what we now think of as Halloween. Right. Halloween yeah. really was little kids walking around in the, in the neighborhood, and you know, quite you know, I think we even did it without the parents, maybe because in those days you were paranoid. You know, it yeah. you didn't have the danger level that you do now. Right. And you know, and, and getting getting some candy. Yeah. When I was a kid, the 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 biggest holiday was Christmas, which was just wonderful. Right. Right. But now I, I look around and my gosh, the money they're spending on on Halloween <laughs> it, it, it it tells you something about our society. But, but it must be equal in Christ, Christmas at this point. For some people, it's more. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, did you? That's have a, a sad commentary, actually. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, did you have a favorite costume when you were a kid? You know, cosplay wasn't a thing then. Well, particularly for uh, Halloween. I mean, for Halloween, yeah. Oh, for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I do things like pirates or, you know, or this is back when Westerns were just huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was uh, Davy Crockett, which was like the biggest television series on for kids from Disney. Yeah. Davy, Davy Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> something, something, the wild frontier. There you go. <laughs> West, uh, West Fest, Fest, Fest Parker, I guess. Yes, mm. yes. But I mean, every everybody was wearing a coonskin cap if they were under 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a costume that you don't even have to wait for Halloween for that. Like, that's just the thing. <laughs> Look at a uh, Christmas story. What was it Scott Farkas? Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, when you were a kid, did, did you have any really scary dreams that you remember? Or reoccurring nightmares? No, but I've... I was an I was an odd kid. The oh, so. my my two loves in life have been movies and reading. Okay. And p- kids kids didn't read, but I did. And I had a paper route and this was in Austining, New York, and when I'd finished the paper route, I'd walk home and I would stop at the library, the Austining Public Library and okay. read. And uh, what happened to me, this is probably boring, but I mean, what happened to me was I'm left-handed. But when okay. I first started in school, if you were left-handed, they taught you how to write with your right hand. Yep, that's right. And then when I got a little bit older, like the second grade or something, they went back and they switched me from my right hand to my left hand. Well, that's not confusing at all. <laughs> it was very confusing. And I ended up being able to write backwards fluently. Mm. And mm. I just, it, I felt like I couldn't, it was like having dyslexia. I, I couldn't, I couldn't read because of my perception. And they mm. sent me to remedial reading, they called it in those days. And they would put me in, in front of a book and they'd put a pointer on the book that followed the, the lines, the sentences. Mm-hmm. And I had to, uh, to keep pace with with the pointer, and what happened was, I turn I, I started to be able to read, and I turned into a speed reader. Okay, I'm able to read very very quickly and comprehend, and it also turned me into a a champion uh, essay test taker. Huh. My math my math is is stunningly 
mediocre, but my reading ability and my ability to, to handle essay tests, which is what the, the latter part of high school and, uh, and certainly college were all about. Yeah. Yep. I ended up being very, very strong academically from bottoms from somebody who, when he was in like the third or second, third, fourth grade, couldn't read at all. Do you remember having a favorite book from when you were going to the library back then? Yeah, anything, anything having to do with, uh, oh boy, William Payson Terhune, who wrote all the all the all the horse stories, the Black Stallion, all those stories. Hmm. And okay. also all the Lassie and dogs, all those great dog stories. Okay. And from there, I got into Black Beauty, and I got into uh, all the pirate books, uh, 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 you know, Treasure Island, all the great books. I mean, every, anything that they did a classic comic on. Are you talking about the Gold Key comics? Is that what they were? I can't think of what the other ones were, but I know Gold Key did a lot of them. Okay, well then I then whoever did the classic comics off the classic books, I read all of them. <laughs> okay. And then I did go to the books. Okay. And I was doing it I was doing it at a very young age before anybody else. I even tackled Nietzsche at like 12 or 13, 14. Wow. wow. Not not that I comprehended, but I was able to nah. read it. Yeah, right. Uh, let's see. Did you have anything happen in real life that terrified you as a kid? Well, I suppose the bullies, you know, you know, all of that. But I mean, what I learned was that, I don't know whether my father taught me or not, but what I learned was when somebody was pushing me around, if I hit him as hard as I could in the nose, and then after that, he beat the crap out of me, but he'd never bother me again. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I, I learned at some point, I was tortured by them like in the fourth and fifth grade. But somewhere before I got into what, what was called junior high then, which I think was 7th, 8th, ninth grade, I'd learned to, to fight back, but not like to fight back where I would get into – I would always lose is what I'm saying. But mm-hmm. if, I, if I fought back, they'd leave, they'd leave me alone after that, right. and that worked very well. Yeah, sort of prison yard rules, you know? You at least show that you have some fight. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, flipping that question around, was there ever a moment in your childhood when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? Yeah, whenever I was, whenever I was leading another life by reading a book, or mm-hmm. absolutely transfixed by a movie. But the movies that I was that I was transfixed by were actually all the ones that were considered really terrible. You know, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, any, any monster movie had me had me for had me there right away. And then I got into I got into Flory Ackerman at some point, you know, with you know that was the first monster magazine that I remember. Was there anybody in your family who was a fan of horror? No, 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 no. I had no. no I'm an only child, and mm. my parents my parents had a had a mom and pop dress store first a haberdashery and then they went into women's clothes because the markup was higher. Right. So I was alone six days a week. I'm the one that grew up doing the house cleaning. <laughs> you know, and then when I got old enough to be able to to deal with people, I started clerking in my parents' store. Okay. So okay. you know, I mean, it was it was a six day work week all my life for my parents. God bless them. You know, some of our guests have reported that there was sort of a dividing line where prior to this line they were afraid of horror, and then after the dividing line they were now fans of horror and enjoyed it. Was there ever a dividing line that like that for you where you were afraid it? previously or was it always enjoyable to you was i i was always 
there was so little of it, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. that I, I just I I had a, I had a, a ravenous hunger for it, but there was no way to satisfy it, mm-hmm. you know. And it it sort of grew as I grew. the The real shift was Hitchcock's movie Psycho, and that was what nineteen sixty or sixty one, which I watched absolutely terrified. And mm-hmm. I don't think that I that was. A really seminal experience for me. I don't think before that I realized that there was such a thing as film editing. Mm-hmm. If you remember the old AIP uh, Hammer films, they were ex- very, very, very traditional in terms of their of their editing. Mm-hmm. With Hammer, you start with a wide shot to give you the you know to give you the set, and maybe they would do over over the shoulders. But I mean they 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 did, they did very few close ups, and they they almost never did an insert. And all of a sudden, you have the shower scene. Mm-hmm. And not only that, he killed his female star about, you know, 40 minutes in. Right. Yeah. And that was absolutely never done. And he used a, a, a butcher knife. I mean, my God, fellas. I mean, that there had been nothing like that. There had been nothing at that level of visceral terror until Hitchcock. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to go to film school, and there were no film schools, fellas. Mm. No, not at that time. So I had a choice of uh, my memory is I had a choice of Northwestern Theater School mm-hmm. or Carnegie Tech Theater School. Yeah, I was going to say. I imagine if anything, there would be theater school at least. Well, that was all there was. Then those yeah. were the those were the two popular ones anyway. And I mm-hmm. applied and got into both. And I went into I went to Northwestern for the, my freshman year because at least they offered some academics. Mm-hmm. I was smart enough to realize that I wanted a broader education than just theater. But oh, yeah. in order to do that, I had to somehow turn me into an actor because that was the only way I could get into something hmm. close to film. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, your your goal was ultimately writing, but you had to actually get the, the foot in the door through acting. I wanted to make films before people thought of that. Mm-hmm. My parents thought I was mad and were worried sick about me. They thought, you know, that's no profession. Mm-hmm. This is World War, the aftermath of World War II. My father fought in World War II. Mm-hmm. He went over to Africa, North Africa, to, to, to gear up for the invasion of, uh, of Italy. And so I grew up in the backwash of World War II. It, it was a, a totally different country than, than it is now. Nobody could conceive. I'm from a small small town in mid-state New York, Highland, New York. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was apple orchards and, uh, and 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 cattle you know and yeah. it was unimaginable to be interested in any of the things i was interested in i have asked that of a number of our guests in the past that i like yeah, I'm, I'm like you there were certain things that never even occurred to me were even a possibility of being something that somebody could do for a living until i was in my 20s and 30s and by that time i had already kind of gone in a particular direction and it's kind of funny looking back on it it, there are people who have known that they wanted to do this their entire lives and i'm like how did you even know that was an option well i knew that i wanted to do it but it wasn't an option right and what i what i i got very very lucky and i had a drama teacher in high school in my sophomore year in high school and I told him what I was interested in, he's, and he shoved me towards acting because mm-hmm. that was all he could conceive of. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got me a job apprenticing at Bucks County Playhouse in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And what I learned from that was that uh, I learned about acting. 
Yeah. But you know, but it was it was it was a way in to get the Hollywood into movies. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And so I would, I, I would say that's probably a good preparation for Hollywood too, because that almost seems to be the status quo with how it works. You your old your ultimate goal is this, but to get started you have to do this adjacent thing. Well that's certainly what happened to me. From that I got I I, I, I got an agent for commercials, for T V commercials. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Another foot in the door. That's right. And I got I got work as a, as a commercial actor, and that sort of opened the door to, to Northwestern. And okay. then I, I did the freshman year at Northwestern with, if you're interested, and this is 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis, okay? Yeah. I'm sure you're much younger, but I mean, it was still the backwash of, of American paranoia about an, an atomic war. And that was that was the closest I remember to the start to an exchange of atomic you know, of atomic missiles back then. Yeah, and everybody was terrified of that. And then I that was and at the end of my first year, I went back of, of, of college at Northwestern. I went back to New York City and looking for work now as an actor as well as well as making money at television commercials. I got a seven year contract to Warner Brothers. And I and I and I came out to LA, and I was 19 years old, I think, and I was so young I had to go to court to sign the seven-year contract. <laughs> and I got signed by Jack Warner himself, and I met Jack Warner in the in the executive suite at Warner Brothers. Wow! And of course, I was gaga because it was it was it was it was the studio that had done, you know, Jimmy Dean had been there. Paul Newman, Jimmy Dean had done uh, a, a rebel out of there, I think. Mm. And uh, Paul Newman had done that God, God awful first movie playing a Roman, <laughs> a silver chalice <laughs> out of there. And the sets were still standing to uh, My Fair Lady on the biggest soundstage that Warner Brothers had. The Ascot Raceway set was still there. And then this was also when the studios were falling apart under the onslaught of television. Well, hang, hang on, hang on. I want to go back to childhood and ask two more questions about childhood and then come back to the teenage years. Um, and I'm going to ask these two questions sort of back to back. We're going to st start with a negative one so we can end on a positive one. Okay. okay. Uh, the negative one is, do you remember the first person you hurt? You mean that I had a fight with? Uh, physically, physically or emotionally, emotional? doesn't matter. Mentally, whatever. No, I've always been very sensitive to not doing that. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's a fair answer. Yeah. I mean, later on in life I did, but they were, they were more about romances. Right. Mm. But that, that when I was young, no, I was, I was very, very sensitive to, to other people's, to other kids' uh, okay. turmoil and, you know. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first person you helped? Boy, I remember protecting people. Anyone okay. in particular? Well... Yeah, I, I didn't understand it, but I did. Yeah, the, I had, I had a, a friend who was gay, but I didn't know it, and his name was Claude, and I I pulled other kids off of him. Okay, good. But I mean, you're you're I'm I'm back like in the fifth, sixth grade. Okay, mm -hmm. but when I got to junior high school, I was getting along back a lot better. Grade school was was hellish, actually. 
<laughs> it almost always is. The, yeah, uh, yeah, because because cruelty was the was 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 the the, the tone of the day. You know, I mean, the, yeah, nothing yeah, cruel. Like the status quo. Yeah, second, third, fourth grade. There's nothing crueler than other kids. But I think that is always the case, even today. Today, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I think it has a lot to do with the you know the childhood development patterns of you know kids go through different stages and that part of their lives is very fraught with a lot of different things, but, um, but good answer. I mean, we like to ask those two questions because you never know what's going to come up. A lot of people have different, uh, different interesting things that they come up to their memory. So moving back to uh, teenage years then. So you had mentioned psycho was big and that came out. Do you remember anything else? Uh, books or movies that were impactful during your teen years? Yeah, Breathless was a mind blower. What was? Breathless with Jean-Pelbo Paul Bomondo. I'd never seen jump cuts <laughs> in film. And this is before this is before film school. But I mean I like I would for whatever reason I was just interested in film. And <laughs> it, it 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 I I I look I like film noir as well as horror. Mm-hmm. The uh but Belmont, Yeah, but but Breathless was the first time that any they didn't jump cut until mm-hmm. breathless that I don't remember. You have to this is a time when if you had a lens flare, it was considered a, a failure. An accident. Yeah. 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 I mean the film was supposed to be able to movies were supposed to take you in and never call attention to the to the technical side. Right. So you mm-hmm. would stay in the story. But you started to see this is the you started to see foreign films coming in. I'm really curious. Did you recognize, like, maybe you didn't know it was called a jump cut at the time, but did you really recognize that that there was different editing or different cuts going on at that time? Yes, yes, I did. Listen, mm-hmm. I, I was so it was so hard for I don't know how I learned this, but it was so hard for me to I get into the story and I'd forget about the cutting. Mm-hmm. But I I really realized there was editing with Psycho, and I would take and 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 take a good and plenty candy box. And I would try to rip a piece off every time I saw an edit huh? to keep me out of being to in keep- the story and aware <sighs> of the editing. Mm. Okay. So I was trying to t- trying to teach myself, and I yeah. figured that I figured that out on my own. But there was nowhere to learn. And when I finally got to Northwestern that freshman year in '62, I went out. I went to the. I went. I went and found the film department in Northwestern, which was one small room. With a couple of graduate students in, and uh, they, they had they had a sixteen mil camera, and they had uh, short ends, which is where they they got free film left over, you know, from mm-hmm. this is in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I went out and I, I shot my first film, which was what there was no we didn't have any sound. I, I took my I took a I took a, a, a motorcycle and I ran it off the side of the road. And then I physically tried to get the motorcycle back up to the road from the hill, and <laughs> I had I had the help of of, of the graduate of the graduate student, and we shot the living hell out of it from every angle. And then we got it we got it processed, and we got back there, and and they had two cold splicers, and and you had to wear white gloves, and you you put down acetone to to to, to put the ends together when you spliced. And I tried to edit the film. And of course, mm-hmm. I had no story. It was just the event, and mm-hmm. it was holy hell trying to to edit it. 
<laughs> and I took I took that film and carried that film around with me for 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 several years. <laughs> and then I got involved with uh, with an acting teacher in New York called Milton Casalis, who went on to be very noted in in, in Hollywood. He's been long gone now, mm. but but Milton. That was the first I heard about Scientology, too, by the way. <laughs> anyway, Milton and I tried to edit it. And I don't even know what happened to the film, but it was, I learned a lot technically. And I, I took my, a lot of those questions with me when I was under that seven-year contract to Warner Brothers. Mm. Let's see. For teenage years, uh, like you mentioned earlier on, Halloween wasn't a big thing when you were a kid. Did you participate in Halloween as a teen? I guess I don't really remember. I don't remember <laughs> Halloween being that big a thing back then. Okay. Yeah, as you said earlier, it's it's grown exponentially over the years, and oh. and also a lot of our guests don't really. Uh, teenage years is kind of when you deviate away from trick or treating and and dressing up, and if anything, you go to like you know parties with friends or things like that. And then you return to it as an adult if you have kids. Yeah. Did mm-hmm. you have any you it pretty well? Did you have any reoccurring nightmares or dreams as a teen? No, but I went through I went through the, the explosion of Elvis Presley. <laughs> okay. I, I realized what a huge cultural event that was. Okay. And I, I, I watched him on Ed Sullivan with, with the rest of America. That was a huge change in music. Before yeah. then you'd had you'd had my father's generation, which was big band music. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and but but when when Elvis came in, that was the that was the beginning of rock and roll. That was the was Bill Haley and the Commas, Rock Around the Clock. It was the movies were you know the the high school movie uh, with Glenn Ford, I think, and Maggie Hayes. Uh, ba, yep. ba, 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 Concrete Jungle. Sounds right. I ripped it off with Class of '84 when I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, did you have anything actually terrifying happen in real life as a teen? Not, not, not like, not like you're asking, no, because you're asking what the, what was the, 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 what, what gave me a proclivity for, for writing the kinds of films that I did. No, That's not, what you're not, asking. No, no, not necessarily. I mean, literally, did you have something terrify you in real life as an, as a teen? Not that I remember. Okay. Not every question is going to land. You just never know until you ask. Uh, let's see. So by your teens, did you start meeting other people who were fans of four or were you still kind of on your own? I met the three or four other boys in high school who were interested in horror with EC comics. Hmm. Okay. But I mean, I mean, the fellows, you, you didn't have an explosion in the horror up in, until Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And you right. know, when I was an adult by then. But Stephen, right. Stephen, people don't really, if you put it, if you put Stephen's effect within an historical perspective, Stephen exploded film to the middle class, to the bourgeois, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. He made it safe to read horror because he used so many brand names in what he wrote. What so you, you can imagine happening in your own life. Before, before that, I had read, I had read all the Victorian horror. Well, this would have been when I was in high school and I must have started Oh God! Probably, probably junior high school, seventh eighth grade. And you're going to ask me what I read? I read Bram's. I read Bram Stoker. I read uh, Dracula. The, you know, uh, I got hold of Frankenstein by by the by the woman. You know, the uh, I, I read the classics, but there was nothing else in horror. 
Mm-hmm. And there were there there were there were two or three writers, and I can't remember their names now. Who did Victorian horror? We're talking about late eighteen hundreds, very very early nineteen hundreds. And then there was there was there was no there was no modern horror books to read. Eastern right. comics were the closest I could find to it, and that's because of that genius who wrote the thing with McDonald. Come I on. I want to say yes. Yeah, he, yeah he, he, he had the magazine. He, he, created, he created science fiction. I, I read everything that was written in science fiction when I had my paper route. And mm. I'm talking about Heinlein and Asimov and uh, Zelezny. And, you know, the, the, that was there. Science yeah. fiction was exploding, not horror. Right. Okay. I'm 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 in the late fifties now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was that was all those books. I think that Heinlein wrote the YA novels before they had YA as a as a category. Right. And he come out with 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 a couple a year. And I mean, I devoured all of that. So moving into adult years, then you mentioned Stephen King. Was there anything else that really jumped out to you um, in your adult years that you've been a fan of? Well, I when 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 the genre really started, and my memory is AIP and Hammer. Mm-hmm. I devoured everything, you know. But it but it it didn't really explode until Psycho, and I mean then then Carpenter took it to another level with Halloween, mm-hmm. which is which is really sort of taking what uh, what Hitchcock had established with the slasher and, and really taking it, you know, to a much cruder, much more accessible, much more uh, commercial, right. you know, level. And that 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 exploded the, the films, but you're back in what? One was seven, nine, well, let's see. Carrie was 1972 or three? I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm so... Yeah, yeah. I want to say it was 73. I think it was. I mean, you know, the the my memory is the the sixties were were uh, oh god, that's all the hippie stuff and all the love stuff and all that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the the horror was not, you know, was was not. When was Rosemary's Baby? What year? I thought that was the late seventies, wasn't it? No, before that, I think sixty-eight. Wow. Okay, nineteen sixty-eight. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that was a huge step up in yeah. terms in terms of psychological horror. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah, especially with the, the twist. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure I could I could sit down and and work on the cultural milestones, but it it didn't mm-hmm. really explode until the early '70s, and I I put that down with Stephen King. Okay, that Any was particular? What, that's what's yeah, because you know you're you're talking like you know so much of what we're talking about there were not. There were not horror conventions. Right. I mean, I think fanatic conventions weren't even so much a thing back then. It was a convention was seen as more of a a networking for businesses kind of thing. Yes. Back Back then, you mean? 67. Yes, it was. I don't remember them in the 60s, but but they sure started Mm -hmm. in the early 70s. You had people like Frank Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, writers like David J. Scow. The little guy in, in in the white ice cream suit. He's the one who wrote uh, he wrote the short story for the original Terminator that uh, Cameron ripped off and ended up paying. <laughs> I didn't him. know about that. I I remember it, but I didn't remember yeah. his name. He was very abrasive, 
but he was he was very talented. Huge short story writer. What did Frank Dietz do? Frank Frank Dietz did uh, a lot of a lot of art, yeah. Disney art. But he was into monsters, and he was he was an early early fan. Mm-hmm. Just he has a whole history. You'll find him all over the place. He's still very active. And David okay. Scow is uh... too. He he wrote he he wrote he wrote the uh, the 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 uh, Masters of Horror episode that I did. We all scream mm. for ice cream. Now, I mean, Fer- John Ferris wrote it, but but ah. David did the adaptation. Okay, I want to go back to Stephen King for a minute. You had mentioned him a few times. Was there any particular work that really stood out to you for of his? Every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> he had an incredible run. You know, preternat- preternaturally talented. I mean, you know, extraordinarily talented. I mean, he ran from Cary, which I can't remember, 71, 2 or 3. The book may have been 71, the movie in 73. Yeah. I mean, he came out with, you know, Salem's Lot. Uh, he came out with six or seven yeah. of The Shining. Came out with six or seven in a row, all of which were brilliant. Yeah, he did just kind of explode right out the gate like that. Yeah, he, ex- he exploded it. I mean, horror exploded in the 70s. Yeah. You know, then, then you know, I mean, you, I'm, Psycho 2 was the second biggest movie in the summer of 1982. The only movie that made more money was the first sequel to Star Wars. Huh. So that tells you how big Psycho 2 was. Mm. I mean, and nobody then, was into Star Wars at that time. It was, it was a small thing. Nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, Star Wars, Star Wars changed science fiction. Right. The Well, in movies anyway. Yeah. yeah. The uh, there's a brilliant horror movie that was done up called Trilogy of Terror. By the way, it's the reason <laughs> why. Ah, yes, that one has come yeah. up a few times. The Tiki Doll. Well, that that's why I did Child's Play. Hmm. Okay, really? Be- yeah, because I, because that movie had blown me away because the the prey the the Tiki Doll. Mm-hmm. That episode I thought was so brilliant, and that's Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. And Richard Matheson, I met him when I did Amazing Stories. <laughs> and and he was like a god to me as a writer. Hmm. But I mean, what we're talking about is you know we're we're doing a cultural history yeah. and trying to remember it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 I I lived it, and I was a fan before there were fans. Right. You know, really, I mean, there were there were literally in Austin Public High School, there were three, four, five other boys that were interested in it, and there were no girls. Of course, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's not ladylike. Oh, forget it! You know the, uh, and then of course, by the time you got into the into the late sixties, it was you go to the, you go with your girlfriend to the theater to watch a to watch a scary movie, and you know, mm-hmm. hoping to to cop a feel, you know, <laughs> or get a kiss, <laughs> jump into yeah. your lap. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, Stephen King really made it into, into mass art. I think, mm-hmm. at least. To me, in my generation, yeah. I read yeah. everything he came out with, and you know, and I ended up. I thought he was absolutely brilliant all the way through the Richard Bachman books, and I did the last one thinner. Was there anything that gave you like an emotional reaction, though? Like, because everything that you're talking about is is being a fan of it as an auteur, but is there has there been anything that really gave you an emotional reaction? Yes, Carrie did. Yeah. What What was the? Emotional- that's heart. That's heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah. I mean that that's heartbreaking. I mean, you know, I mean the closest I ever got to it was Psycho 2, which is, you know, which is you know, you you feel sorry for 
you become emotionally, emotionally involved and feel sorry for Norman Bates, mm-hmm. a serial murderer, for God's sake. <laughs> right, but that's, I mean, I, that's good writing right there when you can actually empathize with a serial murderer. But that's that's because I had I had experienced feeling bad for so many. I felt bad for the kid who was the outsider who got mocked and picked on. Yeah, and you know, in a few cases, it was gay. But other other kids who I didn't realize at the time, but were gay, and they didn't realize it either. Yeah. And then there were always the the, the kid who was just you know who picked his nose, you know, or, mm-hmm. or who was or or couldn't stop eating, you know. Uh, yeah, it's you like know, we talked about earlier. In, in childhood, just bullying was almost like the oh status God. quo. So there, there oh, were all, those, all those kids. Not just not just bullying, but mocking. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And there were also class differences too yeah. between kids kids who didn't have any money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I I, I mean, there were there were people that they, that people wearing their 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 older brothers' hand me downs. You know, for the third generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was it was. Which it is, was. It was. It was. Now it's sort of socially prohibited. In some ways, I could argue it's made the kids softer, and so yeah. they're not. A, they're not as as able to deal with life as they should as they, as we were, mm-hmm. you know, because we went through that. I mean, we really had fights. I'd come out of high school, and there'd be a fight after the end after 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 high school was over. I remember having uh, going down behind the post office in Austin, New York, and having a fight with Kurt Swanson, and I wouldn't give up. And then he took my hand and he he, he he rubbed it on the on the rough black top until my knuckles bled before I said uncle and Ooh. gave up. Wow. But he never but he never bothered me again and we became friends. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's what high school was like when I went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's still a lot like that. Uh, I think what you're getting at in terms of, you know, getting soft is that I do think that there are a lot of adults who are doing a better job of then stepping in and, and using what can be teachable moments to teach those kids who are being bullies, maybe not to to be bullies. But the downside of that is that there are also kids bullies who are smart enough to listen to that and then just go yeah sure okay and then as soon as you turn your back go back to what they were doing i mean <laughs> yes yeah. well yeah yeah but i mean you know those were t- if you're talking about the 50s and the 60s yeah. it was still a very lawful society i mean mm-hmm. we didn't have parental supervision we stayed out and played until mama you started to yell dinner time yeah yeah yeah, it's like you were no saying ac- about uh, Halloween earlier. You know, there was no, there was little to some, often no parental supervision, and it was a it was a night of adventure because you would go out on your own because it was safe to do that at that time. I remember going out and trick or treating by myself with a couple of other kids. Yeah, yep. you know, but people weren't that. There was the the horror that were that were 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 subjected to now was unthinkable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first, the for the the first mass killing I remember was the guy climbing up at that UT in 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 Austin under the under the watchtower, the yeah. whatever it was, and shooting people with a rifle. His last name was uh, Whitman. We we don't know wait, yet if I'm related or not. Wait, are we talking about UT yeah, and then, or Yeah, and then Bogdanovich went out and made his first film on it and got his film career started. We're talking about UT or Kent. But I mean, I don't I don't remember what year that was, but that was the sixties. Yeah. You know, and so you didn't have that break. You didn't have a complete breakdown in in in, in society that 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 are things that are happening now were just on 
You couldn't imagine them back in the 50s and the 60s. I don't know. I think you know I, mean? I think part of that's just all, a lot to do with press, because, or not press, but media and, and the speed of which that things get shared now. Because I don't think that it was the case that that stuff didn't happen back then. I think you just didn't hear about it. Yeah. Okay. It's quite possible. I mean, I mean, go back well, that, to that, go that, back that. to Mark Desaad. I mean, Mark Desaad was yeah. what, 1500s, 1600s? I mean, there are people doing some bad shit for a long time. <laughs> okay, but uh, but I I don't remember any I don't remember pedophilia. Well, back in those days. Now, I'm sure there was, but you you're right. And as far as any kind of trans issues, I remember Christine Jorgensen. And that was like the one-off and that was like the first guy from Scandinavia who, mm-hmm. who, who had surgery trying to change his body. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, but that was like horrifying. I mean, there, yeah. there was the, the, all these things that are now, so many of these things that are now common were, mm-hmm. were, were just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I could, you could go on and on. People went to church in those days, you <laughs> yeah. know, and now you're talking about Halloween being as big a holiday as Christmas. Yeah. People still go to church nowadays on Christmas and Easter. Those two days. <laughs> actually, actually I, me too. Yeah, I, re- I really, I really enjoy midnight mass, and I go on Easter, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. But if you were from Highland, New York, uh, the church was a was a was was part of the social network that bound people together in a smaller in smaller communities. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. It wasn't even a question back then. It was Sunday night. You go to church. Yeah. Well, you have you have bake sales, you know, and everybody would mm-hmm. come down to, to do the. They were community events, yes, you know. But you can you can watch that that falling apart too. Yeah, if you you know if you, if you if you travel at all through the Midwest and look at the look at the farming, uh, uh, the four one clubs and the you know the granges, and even all of that is you know falling apart. The Masons don't get together anymore, huh. you know. Then well, that we know of. <laughs> well, my grandfather had his 50, and he lived in 93. Mm. He had it, and I have it. He has his, he got his 50-year pin wow. from the Masons, mm. and I, I have it. It was one of the things that, that was left to me. But, I mean, if the Masons hadn't shown up, there would have been nobody to bury him yeah. because nobody lived past 90 in those days. Yeah. You mm. know? Yeah, I mean, I, I I know what you're saying because my I was raised by my grandmother, and she I think was of your generation, and you know my grandfather and my grandmother were both members of multiple uh, social I don't want to say yes. parties, but like uh, my grandfather was Polish, and he was part of the Polish, Polish National Alliance. He was part of the yep. the the Polish Veterans of American Foreign Wars. He was yep. uh, the deacon of our church. He was also involved in another thing that I can't even think of off the top of my head. And your grandmother was also a deacon, wasn't she? No, she was, but she was the head lector of the church. Um, okay. And so, you know, as you're saying that back then, people were involved in multiple social organizations oh knights of knights of columbus that was the other thing he was involved in yes of course knights of columbus the lions club right mm-hmm. so you know that's uh, that's yeah. that's something that has definitely has changed is these social organizations that people used to be uh a part of i mean they still exist like shriners is that around there the, uh shriners was huge the elks i think uh, we still have shriners here in florida the elk club right the elk club I mean, they still exist. Yeah. It's just not as the the number of people who are joining them is is dwindling. But they're still they're still doing it. 
you got a you got another huge one now. The you've got uh, you've got uh, digital immigrants, which is like me, and then you got people who you got kids who are post digital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and I mean, my God, that's that's such a huge separation. You know, it really I mean, is. I, yeah, I mean, I I can't tell you, but you talk to a boomer, and <laughs> you know, all all, all of them are are, are pre digital, mm-hmm. and then you you. you and now you talk to a, you know, a, I, I have a granddaughter. I was 18 now, 17. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, what she can do digitally. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, uh, I think, 11 year old now nephew uh, told me the other day he's, he's in coding class. He's in fifth grade, like okay. coding class. I, I started out on a manual typewriter. And when I got a, mm-hmm. when I finally made enough money to get an IBM Selectrix, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same, yeah. same. I mean, like, you know, essays and things in grade school. But yeah, when I remember the, the transition from a manual typewriter to digital. Like, oh my God. Yes. It doesn't make noises. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. keep putting the paper back. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You, you don't have to use whiteout. You don't have to use whiteout anymore now that you got, now that you, I walked around with the first, with the first uh, computer. Was it called a Singer? I forget what. A first, a first uh, laptop computer, which weighed as much as a sewing machine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I thought I mean, a little little screen, black and white. I think a little green in it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it changed it changed writing because you could revise yeah. without having to go and, and you know get white out to revise, or without having to, to get to get uh, the the blue the blue paper to do uh, to do a copy. Yeah. For Chris's, I mean, all these things have changed the arts. For Chris's mm-hmm. benefit, uh, actually, I started coding in fifth grade in 1985, oh. <laughs> and IBM Selectrics do make noise. They hummed because I took typing classes. Oh, well, okay, on yeah, an yeah, IBM Selectric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fellas, this is this has been great. We've been we've been talking for an hour and 25 minutes, yes. and I've got to. I'm going to have to go in here. So if you've got other questions or any specifics you know now's the time i think sure okay we're near the end of the adulthood uh, right. section we can go ahead and do the wrap up yes so the the topics that have been coming out multiple times uh in in our conversation so far i think really boil down to um two or three things adventure Mm-hmm. being sensitive to other people and mm-hmm. there are some re- some fears for example reaction to nuclear war was something big when you were a kid it sounds like society falling apart is, is an important thing to you now as an adult i say adventure because you mentioned things like you know lassie and black beauty and treasure island and pirates and things like that which is something that you were into in addition to horror i loved howard Pyle, p-y-l-e uh that's all the pirate that's the that's ah, the pirate okay. books yeah gotcha. so the question there being well actually let me ask you a different question first do you see any common threads in what kinds of horror you like cannibalism occult metaphysical i like suspense fellas okay okay i mean i i would i would argue that in a lot of ways i write suspense that's the basis for horror. I mean, look at Child's Play. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge suspense piece. Okay, it is. What the movie? Suspense piece. It's it's well, it's Hitchcockian. Hitchcock, you see Brad Dourif put it. The opening scene, you see Brad Dourif put his soul in a murder. A serial murderer puts his soul into a doll. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you never see him again. Right. Nope. But you know 
that that doll is evil because you've seen the serial murderer who did it. Yeah. Put his mm-hmm. soul in, you know, who's in that doll. Yeah. But the people in the movie don't. Right. And that's that's the classical definition of suspense. The audience knows and the, and the characters in the story don't. Right. Ah. What movie would you say you've watched more times than any other? Oh, boy. I can give you a book, Dune. Okay. That works. That's an interesting yeah, movie one. or book. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's a long book to have watched, to have read uh, multiple times. I've got to read that. I've got to have read that ten or twelve times. Ah, uh, that's right. I forgot. You're a speed reader. <laughs> yeah. What uh, What do you love about Dune? It's the story of of a of a boy who's who, in a way, is chosen and can't avoid his fate. Mm. Yeah. And he has he has to either rise or fail to it. And mm-hmm. at the same time, it's wrapped in environmentalism. Yeah, you get that the reluctant legacy, and it is wrapped in environmentalism and, and feudalism, which is a yes, tale as old as time, with with religious overtones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, because you're you're really talking about the second coming in a way. I mean, it has so many themes in it. You know that about that he was, he, and, But he but he created them. I mean, and he he wrote that before they were there. Yeah. I mean the the look the prize the prize doesn't go to the the, the, the prize goes to huge success yes mm. but it also goes to the innovator yeah the one who started it and that I guess that's why I have a, such an admiration for Stephen mm-hmm. King yeah yeah but you know you have to have a historical perspective which means you have to have lived through it. You have to have known what was there before it arrived mm-hmm. to know how it changed things, which is Hitchcock and Psycho. But that you can also make the same argument with the with the writer in uh, Rosemary's Baby. I mean, that's yes. I mean, uh, the, the the writer, the the director did a brilliant job. But but kudos go to the writer of mm-hmm. that. Kudos go go to goes to the writer, the guy who wrote The Exorcist. Yeah. We all think it was a brilliant movie and the director did a brilliant job. But the guy who wrote that, the name's out of my head right now. Yeah, no freaking but, director. I mean, yes, that had I'm I think I know the answer that you're probably gonna give, but I want to ask it anyway because I don't want to put words in your mouth. But when we were talking about the things that you enjoy here, you know, adventure, being sensitive to others, this uh, also even a little bit in Dune where you're talking about a story of a boy who can't avoid his fate and you have to rise or fall. These are some of these topics could be explored in other genres. So do you have a sense of why it is, you know, why horror? What is it about horror that speaks to these things to you better than other genres? Well, I sort of discovered it. They were the entry-level jobs in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, I got the TV movie initiation of Sarah, which was one of the first body change movies where they couldn't do what I wanted to do, but they did the best they could as well, which is in a sorority. And then, then I did The Beast Within. Which is really a, a body change. A boy, it starts with a rape and ends with a rape. Try to do that today. Wow! But that—that that is the sins, the sins of the parents visited on the children. That's what that story's about. And at the end, the progenitor is a, is a monster. At the beginning, rather, and at the end, the the son turns into a monster. But he he passes his seed on, so you know it's going to go down through the generations. 
Uh, so the, the, the line in Hollywood is be careful of what you succeed at because you'll never be able to do anything else. But I didn't feel that way. I loved what I was doing. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a lot of what I've done, a lot of what I've written is, 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 is in your face horror. They've also had other themes and other, other they've been concerned with, with things beyond just shocking or scaring the hell out of people. It, that didn't go in the direction I thought it would. And so it sounded like you're saying that you kind of did horror as an entry level thing to get into Hollywood. However, you know, we've been talking about you being a fan of horror ever since you were a kid. I kind of expected you, you were going to say that you got into Hollywood to tell these kinds of stories, but it sounds like you're saying that, no, I, I wasn't even really so much concerned about telling horror stories. I just wanted to work in film regardless of what genre it was. Is that accurate? Well, that's, that, is, that, is, that is true. I was in love with film. Okay. Okay. I was in love with making movies, not television, mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. movies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Before it was even considered something that one could do or make a living at, you know, and I that was the the push for so many. I was an actor for ten years, mm-hmm. but I was doing it was like well, I was knocking on the door trying to get into directing. Got it. And I couldn't get in. Okay. And so I there was a moment of time. The, the I was in the actor studio, and I was in the playwrights uh, unit of the actor studio, acting for for writers who wanted to be directors. Some of them quite well known. Jim Bridges was one of them, and uh, Paper Chase. And uh, I saw what was happening because that was the moment of of, of, of Easy Rider, nineteen sixty eight, mm. which really blew open the doors and made and made the entry possible for writers of originals. Try that now. Yeah, no mm. way. You know, I mean, God forbid that the studio should have to take a risk. But I mean, at that moment in time, the doors were open and I became a writer trying to get the directing, but I've been trying for 10, 15 years, 10, 12 years before that Mm -hmm. to get there. I wanted to make film. Okay. And my taste is, 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 is suspense or scary. Right. You know, I'm, but I mean, I, 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 I think it was brilliant, but I don't think I would have done the hard, hard, done the fly the way that uh, Cronenberg did. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, you know, I didn't come out. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't at, at at fourteen years old. I wasn't thinking about doing body horror. Yeah, you know. See, that's. I thought you were going to say suspense when I originally asked that question. I thought you were going to say that horror was just the best avenue to, because like you can't really do suspense in any other genre. I mean, you can do a little bit of it, but if your entire movie is suspenseful, like you can't do that in any other genre but horror, really. Um, well, and, yes, but then think of uh, Day of the Jackal. Is that the one about the sniper? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just just one example. I can yeah. think of others if I go around, if I thought about it. The, yeah, but okay. I mean, yes. That would be suspense me, without horror. Yeah, but it took, but, but suspense took me into horror, which is probably why, why I always loved it. But I started mm-hmm. out as a mad science fiction fan, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. But that was, all there, that was all there was, both in movies and in books, when I got interested mm-hmm. in this. I mean, the, 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 then, then, then Hammer and AIP came in, and they were corny, for God's sakes. <laughs> yeah. At times. Some, some were. Yeah. Yeah. So, it sounds like in your case, uh, it, not to say that you're not a lo- fan of horror, because clearly you are, but it, it was that you loved film in general even more, mm-hmm. which- Yes, I did. Ken Foray said something pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. He said the same thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah it sounds like, uh, if I were to say the, uh, the answer to uh, what is it about horror that makes you happy is that it was- an assistance into the role and life of storytelling. 
it, it helped you get that foot in the door. But I'll tell you, you do a good horror movie that works for an audience, there's nothing more enjoyable than being at the previews and hearing mm-hmm. them scream and <laughs> yeah. laugh and, you know, and, and, and be moved. You can do all kinds of things within the horror genre. It's about love, finally, True. fellas. True. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's really it, it's what you love, but it's also what your characters love. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, a passion. It, it, yeah. I mean, you know, and includes the villains. Look at Jerry mm-hmm. Dandridge, Chris Sarandon, and Fright Night. Yep. Fright mm-hmm. Night, by the way, is my love letter to the genre. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's that's me as a fan back in 1958 or whatever it is, when they had Stagger Lee and Elvira and, uh, you know, Dr. Lobo and uh, Count DeVille. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they had those terrible, corny horror hosts, mm-hmm. you know, in the Friday yeah. Night Frights. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, I love you very much. Have I, have I given you enough? You have. Uh, the only so. question we were going to ask is if there was anything else that you had thought of that uh, you didn't get a chance to say. Maybe, you know, the conversation took a left turn and you didn't get a chance to say something, but no. No, go go, go look at TerrorTime.shop and, and buy my books. I'm writing <laughs> novels. Will but do. I'm also But I'm also writing books about, about my movies. Yes, and yeah. I did a table read last week that's going to be a huge podcast a big horror movie called the landlord horror script called the landlord that's that's a okay. whole other kind look at what's happening because of digital it's all changing yeah. but i mean you know it's streaming and look 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 how that's upsetting the business model sure and i mean they've killed movies i could go on and on and on well we're we're going to put together a bio page for you and we'll link to you know your website and all kinds of different stuff and your fans can go check that all of that out for you yeah, I, please do. I'm please going do. to, uh, well, first, let me say thank you for joining us. It has been a pleasure talking to you. And thank you to anybody out there listening. Please do come visit us at HorrorMakesUsHappy.com. We've got a list of people there that we've interviewed, people that we'd like to get in touch with. If you can help us out with any of those people, let us know. You can support us by becoming a Patreon supporter, buying us coffee. You can join us on Twitch or Discord. And if you can't do any of those things, just tell a friend. 